Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with TV sports reporter Edward Egros about concussions in the headlines. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I very recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com and be sure to check out the Brain Health Academy that I have co-created with Sue Wilson of CTE Hope while you're there. Today, my guest is Edward Egros, and Edward is a television reporter and news anchor with Fox 4 in Dallas, Texas, and a sports analytics enthusiast. While his work in television has always involved telling meaningful stories about athletes and teams, his Inside Sports Analytics podcast and website also enhance the same mission, but through a different approach, by incorporating sports analytics into journalism. He earned his undergraduate degree in journalism and economics from Southern Methodist University in Dallas, and he also earned his master's degree in predictive analytics from Northwestern University. Outside of his professional work, Edward enjoys traveling, a good adventure, and delicious iced coffee. And Edward, I follow you on Instagram, so I see how much iced coffee you consume. <laughs> it might be a little bit much. It may not be uh, the best for my health, but uh, it's delicious. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, it finally, I, I, I know you're in Texas, and I'm up here in Minnesota, and I swear, you know, we finally just got spring in the last two weeks. Um, right. But it's like, in the middle of winter, you want nothing to do with iced coffee, so I'm very much looking forward to it. Do you have a favorite um, place that you found for iced coffee? So I tend to go to the local shops, and there's several around Dallas and across the country I would recommend, depending on, on where you are. Um, I remember when I was up in Minneapolis, uh, where we met, um, you know, when I found that there was a caribou coffee there, I was like, this is perfect. This, this is what I need right here. Um, sometimes I will want the novelty of Tim Hortons when I'm up north, just to just to say that I'm this nice, kind, benevolent American and enjoying a you know Canadian brew. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it, you know, I'll I'll jump all over the place. I, I tend to err towards the local side just because, you know, maybe maybe the uh, heart tastes a little bit differently. I don't know. Mhm, mhm. I am. Um, I surprisingly like. I don't know if you guys have Dunn Brothers. Dunn Brothers has really good iced coffee. 
Even though I'm a no. Starbucks fan at heart, um, Dunn Brothers yeah. has my favorite iced coffee. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> do, they, so anyway, do they deliver? <laughs> do they deliver? <laughs> um, so, Edward, you and I met <clears throat> back in January when you were in town. Um, here in Minneapolis, we had the Super Bowl, so we had tons of activities going on. And you and I were both on a panel for SportsCon. Um and we were on the media panel. And I, I remember at first I was kind of like, when she first asked me to be part of it, I was like, why me? Um, because I was surrounded <laughs> by all of you sports people and analytics people. Um, but it was a great panel. And, you know, any opportunity mm-hmm. I have to share the message of brain injury, you know, I'm all for it. And so um, our paths crossed. And um, I think this is just a great opportunity to have you on um, as someone who follows sports very closely. And you are very familiar with journalism and the media and the sensational headline. Um, And so I thought this would be a really great opportunity for us to just kind of chat about some of the stuff that's been in the headlines recently. Um, And so thank you so much for being here and taking your time to talk to my listeners. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I know the one topic that you and I talked about um, when you were here in town was the the Boston University study and the headline, you know, um, oh, dang it, I was going to look it up to get the actual number, but it was like 111 out of 112 brains um, were found to have CTE. And, right. you know, it, it's a very sensational headline. It's a very powerful headline. Um, but when you get to the meat of it, you know, there's really no control group. And, you know, they were purposely right. looking for CTE in these brains. And I mean, don't get me wrong, CTE is a very, very real thing. And I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss it. But I kind of just want to talk about, you know, the sensational headlines um, that kind of come with some of these research projects that are out there. Because, I, you know, I feel like concussion is finally getting some traction um, with, sure. you know, with the movie concussion and with the Boston study. Um, and so I think, you know, they kind of, what's the term like, um, no publicity is bad publicity or bad publicity is good publicity. Yeah, I don't publicity know how it goes. Is good publicity. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just so happy to see it constantly being in the headlines. Um, but, you know, what sure. are what's your take on some of these headlines? Well, I think <laughs> in a generic way to approach it, I think the way I look at it is, sensational headlines certainly sell and it's all about getting as many clicks as possible. And you've heard these uh, things before in certainly different areas. My concern is that whenever you say something that is outright false or is so exaggerated to the point where the real truth isn't nearly as big of a deal, that it eventually loses that traction and you provide evidence to the alternative side. And it's, it's not like where you have the, you know, concussions are evil and they do all these horrible things versus concussions are absolutely nothing. You're just getting your bell rung and walk it off and go back out there, champ. It's not, it's not that simple to say there are two camps, two alternative points of view. But to me, as a journalist, the most important thing is to be truthful and be accurate. And when you exaggerate something so much so, then that becomes a, a difficult task. So, for instance... <clears throat> We were talking uh, earlier about the uh, Brett Favre story where he yes. did an interview with Megan Kelly saying that he probably had thousands of concussions. 
<laughs> well, yes, you're quoting him, but if he really had thousands of concussions, he wouldn't be upright. He would not be communicating coherent thoughts. And so quoting him just for the sake of gaining attention is sort of a tricky endeavor. And yes, he can say that, but to me it was almost clear in that interview that I'm not exactly sure if Favre knows what a concussion is. It's not, it's not necessarily just, you know, when you're suffering a symptom that you may or may not associate with a concussion. It's the blows to the mm-hmm. head. And if, if he had thousands of those, then the symptoms would be far more severe. I mean, far, far more severe than, than what he's experiencing right now. And there's also the concern, this is something we can kind of, uh, you know, flesh out a little bit more, but I think there's also the concern, especially when it comes to CTE, that because we have talked about it so frequently, that there are football players out there, past and present, who are so worried that they have it, that they think that anything that's wrong with them, like they forget someone's name or they trip over themselves, that all of a sudden they have CTE. And I think that association is a lot looser than maybe we give it credit for. I mean, those of us who don't have CTE will not remember every single name. Uh, Plenty of us are very uncoordinated. So those things happen. (laughs) But I think because we, we, we talk about it with such great frequency and the most sensational of ways, I don't think we do it justice that perhaps say the research is not as, uh, it does not have the causation uh, that we really would like for it to at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I think you just kind of hit that point with CTE. I think there's so much research left to be done. Um, you know, they really were, we've only scratched the surface of it. And I, I heard a great keynote. Um, he had just been at a black hole convention with Stephen Hawking mm-hmm. and, um, he, you know, he's like, it's like a black hole, you know, we know more than we did before, but we still don't know much more. Um, and so, yeah, we scratched the surface of it, but you know, is it, you know, what's, what is it exactly? We don't know yet. And so I think that's, that's going to be really interesting as we get more and more research on CTE. So, so Edward, you have been in media for, I believe about seven years. Um, how have about you, a dozen now. Yeah. About a dozen. Um, so yeah. how have you seen the awareness of concussion evolve um, from an outsider's perspective? You know, how, how have you seen this evolve? Like 12 years ago when you started, was it really even talked about um, to now? Is it over talked about? You know, what, what's your perspective on that? Well, I think when we started, I don't recall hearing a lot about it. Uh, it, it certainly existed, and it was certainly a, a concern. Um, I, I think one of the things that was talked about, but we, I, I think there was a, a big approach, like when it comes to football, and I'll, I'll, I'll stick with football just for this. I think one of the things that we always talked about was maintaining the fundamentals of the sport. Don't lead with your head. Don't use your head as a battering ram. And I think that's been around for quite some time. And I think the difference between then and now is if somebody led with their head, had some outstanding tackle, and then maybe suffered a concussion or suffered some major injury because of it, well, I don't 
think we were chastising the right people enough in those situations. And I think now we're doing a better job of holding coaches, medical trainers, whomever, responsible for when something goes wrong. I think we're Mm -hmm. a lot more careful when it comes to putting someone back out on the football field when they are suffering, suffering uh, symptoms. Now we're not perfect. And there are certainly many examples today where players are getting back on the football field when they shouldn't. But I think we're doing a better job at taking them out, overruling the players themselves who say they want to get back out on, get back out on the field. After all, they are competitors. What else do you expect them to say? Of course they want to get back out there. And because head injuries are naturally nebulous, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. And even the patient is not quite going to know everything about what they're going through. So I think we've done a better job at safeguarding those kinds of things. What I don't think we've done a good job of over the last dozen years is really communicating what all of this is, what we know, and what we don't know. And this is one of the points I wanted to make when it comes to my analytical background uh, versus sort of my conventional journalism background is that, and this shouldn't be any surprise to anybody, but I think journalism as a whole does not do a good job at understanding what science is. And I think a lot of journalists don't do a great job when it comes to math and statistics. Um, I can't tell you how many journalists I've met over the years say, you know, I don't like math, I don't like statistics, so I decided to go into journalism or, you know, become a writer <laughs> or whatever because I don't have to that deal with raise math. Raise his hand. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, they didn't like those math classes. So you know what? I'm going to go be a writer. And, I mean, not everybody has every gift and, you know, every subject in school. But there's certain basic uh, tenets to math and statistics that we all need to have uh, when we communicate, you know, more complex issues like concussions and like head injuries. And my concern is that we don't do a great job when it comes to that. And so, as you mentioned before, there is a lot of research left to be done. There's a lot that we don't know. And the story you mentioned about 110 out of 112, 111 out of 112, whatever it was, it it was something where there was awful sampling bias in this story. Every statistician was up in arms about this. Like the, the sampling bias was, that all these families figured that the brains probably had CTE and they just wanted to verify that information. This was not a true random sampling of so many brains to see if they had it or not. Everybody had a sneaking suspicion that CTE was present and it turns out that their suspicions were correct. So, it's it's almost a non-story in that regard because if you already know something's happening and then you just have it confirmed, well, it's not some random brain taken out of the population. And what a lot of research has not done or at least hasn't been communicated effectively is saying, hey, here are so many uh, incidents of CTE across America of different activities, different backgrounds, different lifestyles. And then here is the percentage who played football, who played only high school football, who went on to the NFL, whatever level you want to be looking at. And I think that difference is absolutely critical when looking at a situation like this. And we haven't done a good job at researching that. You know, and 
to your point about um, writers, you know, not having a good, good grasp of statistics and, and analytics. And that's one thing I've definitely been forced to start understanding. Um, you know, I, I've been doing some work with quadrant biosciences out of New York and, you know, learning about test, retest, reliability and causation and, you know, like all these terms that I avoided in college. You know, that's why I went with the arts degree. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and now and here I am. I'm breaking news. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, you know, I mean, it is, it's important to understand that stuff. And I know it drives me crazy when I see people using very outdated statistics. Um, you know, like I'll see like 1.8 million Americans suffer a brain injury. It's like, no, that number's up to 2.8. <laughs> you know, it drives right. me just crazy to see the old outdated stats. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, you know, and so uh, Justin Morneau, Minnesota Twins player, you know, take, bring it back yeah. here to Minnesota. Um, you sure. know, he, him and, um, him and Mauer, you know, they both had a pretty bad concussion and this was before mine, you know, so this was before I was hyper aware of concussion talk and Morneau had his concussion and he was out, gosh, at least a season, if not two seasons um and I just remember thinking wow that's that's you know it was very much in the news and it was very talked about and it's still when I speak at local groups like a local rotary group I inevitably have people come up to me and talk about Maurer and how he was never the same after he went back to playing they're like his you know his you know, batting average was blah, 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 blah. And now, you know, he, mm-hmm. he just doesn't swing the same. You can tell, you know, so like people are noticing they're, they're aware and they're catching on. Um, and I think that's super cool. Um, you know, it's but super cool, I, but it's, the concern at the same time <laughs> is that, you know, correlation does not imply causation. After mm-hmm. a head injury, lots of things might change in somebody that may simply be attributable to, well, they suffered something that was very uncomfortable. It's hard to play the same way. It's hard to think the same way. Um, You know, I think in other injuries, you have a similar phenomenon, like golfers I talk to who suffer a back injury. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. may not be as comfortable with their backswing because they're afraid that something might happen. And so you have to do it. Yeah. And, yes, you know, I think head injuries point. work exactly the same way in that regard. Yeah, you don't want to get hit again. You know, you don't want to um, – correct. correct me if I'm wrong. I seem to remember Morneau, um, he collided with a baseman, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's how he, you know, suffered his brain injury. And I can only imagine the first time you have to go run a base or take a slide. I mean – I just, I know I still have trouble if it's icy or even if it's not icy, but I'm walking down a certain incline because that's where I fell. Right. And it's just, yeah, that, that hesitation and the, the hesitation itself, you know, um, can, can just wreak havoc on your life. Sure. You don't want to go through that head injury again, but you're not sure if symptoms from that head injury are actually affecting you in the future. And, and I mean, it's, it's absolutely a case by case basis, you know, and you know, you know, your own body, you know, when something is actually affecting you versus 
something that is perhaps a little more psychological. And that's what makes this tricky. And that's why mm-hmm. more research is needed in situations like this, because you don't know everything. And the psychological component complicates case-by-case basis. We were talking before we went live, we were talking a little bit about cheerleading. And I have a couple mm-hmm. girlfriends whose daughters, um, one in particular, her daughter's the flyer in cheerleading, which means yeah. she's the one that gets thrown up in the air because <laughs> she's right. she's tiny. And I'm just like, oh my god, I just can't even watch it. Like it just, oh, it's so scary. Um, and you know, the whole cheerleading people, uh, parents want their children to, you know, go the cheerleading route. You know, it's safer than soccer right in their mind and it's like oh gosh cheerleading is probably the most it's probably more dangerous than football um you know it but you don't have to be the flyer you can be the person on the base too and take a foot to the head or a knee to the head you know somebody comes down wrong or you know there's 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 no protection there for the head when you're cheerleading (laughs) no it's not it's not as fun to watch when you see cheerleaders, all of them with helmets and pads on. It, it, it kind of takes away <laughs> right. from it, you know? <laughs> Good point. Um, yeah, you know, and, and I when I had Ben Utech on my podcast, um, he has three daughters. And so he's like, I hope they go into golf like their mom. Because, <laughs> you know, I think golf probably one of the safest sports out there um, as far as Sure. You know, hitting your head. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it could right. happen. You could get hit by a golf ball. You know, that would do some damage. But... Right. But I think it's I think it's worse to be a fan watching a golf tournament than it is, say, the one <laughs> hitting the golf ball. It, you know, it's not very often that off the tee box when you're waiting behind or you're out looking for your ball or whatever that you, know, you, you suffer a head injury. But hey, I, I guess it could happen. <laughs> um, you know, and and then. I, w- I wanted to take a moment to talk about um, Zach Easter and CTE Hope. Yeah. And I know I had sent you the link. You weren't, you weren't familiar with it, but um, he was, he had only played high school. So. No. <laughs> You're a good journalist. Um, he, he had only played high school football. And at the age of, I believe he was 24, um, he sure. took his life. He shot himself in the heart so that, he left very specific instructions for them to autopsy his brain and um, GQ did an amazing video and a spread in their magazine about his diary. And he had been keeping diary for years about the symptoms he was experiencing. Um, And, you know, I just think, you know, it's so beautiful when you know, so GQ, they, they did this feature and it was just so beautifully done and such a great message to get out into the world. Um, and, you know, these, these beautiful features and, you know, what, 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 what sorry, I'm stumbling here. So sure. you, um, you, did, you took a moment to watch the video. And so, you know, what, you know, what as journalists can we do to really help, um, share the word and get people to notice and listen. Well, I think Zach Easter's story is, is, is so inter- interesting. It, it's tragic. Absolutely. It's sad uh, on a number of different levels. I, I wonder too, if part of the issue with head injuries, uh, specifically with Zach Easter is 
it can be interwoven with so many other things. I, I watched the uh, link that you sent me about 11 minutes long. And I actually thought of it more as a mental health story interwoven in concussions and football and that story that we've talked about for so long now. And I thought to myself, this was a young man who wanted to sort of abandon the fundamentals of football, leading with his head, suffering perceivably multiple head injuries because it was making him a better football player. And he was talking about sort of the psychological problems that maybe he had growing up where he felt like he had to do these things. And the most disappointing part to me was where are the adults in the room? Where was somebody sitting Zach down and saying, look, you're going to suffer some long-term consequences and long-term injuries if you keep playing this way. And because he felt compelled to be a tough guy and you have all these other psychological components playing into a delicate topic to begin with, then it makes things far more complex. And I, I looked at this and I thought to myself, somebody needed to sit him down and tell him, look, you don't need to be playing this way. You can be a good football player without leading with your head. And because nobody was willing to address the mental health part, then you had other things happen down the road that complicated other issues. I mean, Zach said it himself. He was uncomfortable socially. And so he resorted to these kinds of things. And then because of the nebulous nature of head injuries, it's certainly possible that concussion sort of exacerbated uh, that feeling of loneliness, the depression feelings, things like that. Um, But, you know, another story that I wanted to bring up when I thought about Zach Easter was the story about uh, Todd Ewan, the uh, hockey player who was an enforcer. And as you know, enforcers in hockey, they, they fight a lot. They punch Mm -hmm. players in the head and then they absorb a lot of punches to the head at the same time. Without their helmets because they take, they throw their helmets down to fight. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. They, they throw their helmets down and it's basically two guys, punching each other until the officials come in and break it up. (laughs) And, you know, unfortunately with Todd Ewan, he allegedly suffered from depression for years and committed suicide. And doctors then examined his brain and found out that there were no signs. There was no evidence of CTE. Now, many other hockey enforcers do have evidence of CTE, but Ewan didn't. And, what makes this complex is that while, and, and I don't know, uh, you know, sort of what Zach Easter's family decided to do, uh, you know, moving forward. I mean, they, they've certainly raised a lot of awareness, which is great. But what we don't know is just because you're you know, suffering from psychological symptoms that it's necessarily correlated with or it's necessarily caused by you know, certain head injuries. Certainly we need to do a better job at, you know, those who are the, the adults in the room making sure that the fundamentals of football and even the fundamentals of other sports are intact. But at the same time, because other things play into this, it's a complicated issue. And that's why more research needs to be put in. It is so complicated. And, you know, I have been dismissed 
helped by um, just very recently, I was a keynote speaker out on the East Coast and um, I, I received all the evaluation forms. And on one of them, um, the person marked that they were a professional and that they were a counselor and that I clearly have a psychosomatic disorder. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, you, you can make that conclusion after listening to me speak for, you know, an hour. Okay. Um, right. But there's so much misunderstanding. There's so much misinformation. You know, there's just, mm-hmm. there's so much we don't know. It's the brain. It's hidden. We, you right. know, you can't just like look at it, um, you know, broken bone. Oh, you can see that, you know, it's a clean break or it's not a clean break or you're going to have to put screws in it. Um and it's just, it's such muddy waters. And I, I just, you know, the whole um, mental health component, you know, did a person have a pre-existing mental health problem and this has exasperated it? Or is this all new since the brain injury? Or, you know, it's just, it, there's sure. so many variables. And as you know, I have a group of 8,500 people on Facebook. And I mean, across the board, depression is definitely depression and isolation are at the top of the mm-hmm. list along with headaches. And it's like, this can't just be a coincidence. I mean, I'm no researcher, <laughs> but right. this, you know, the numbers are there. Um, I should have sure. you analyze my group numbers, Edward. <laughs> um, I could, I could. <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's something that we just need to keep talking about and, um, mm-hmm you know, keep having these conversations. And I'm, you know, it makes me happy to see, you know, going back to the, you know, all, all PRs, good PRs. So um, mm-hmm. it makes me happy to see these headlines, even if some of them are a bit misleading. Um, so, you know, we're, we're down to the last few minutes and I just, you know, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners, anything we haven't maybe touched on that you wanted to make sure we hit on? Yeah, there was actually one study that I came across, uh, kind of going back to the CTE thing briefly before sort of a larger point. But there was a study done uh, by researchers in Toronto where they found a deceased patient that had CTE, but there was no known history of traumatic brain injury or concussion, which is fascinating to me that this patient didn't have a, a... professional athlete background and wasn't banging their head on things and they found CTE in this brain. And it is only one instance, sure, but to my knowledge, we don't know how many within the population nationwide suffer from CTE versus those who have participated uh, in specific activities. And I think one of the problems that I think from a journalistic perspective uh, that we aren't quite tackling is that we we have to be smarter when it comes to the scientific method, your control groups versus your variable groups. I think what we do is we just take the most sensational part of a study and then we run with it. And when yeah. it comes to sampling bias, when it comes to confirmation bias as well, I find that there are researchers out there who are absolutely convinced that football should be eradicated completely, that no one should ever play tackle football again. And if, if, if that's the way we should go, then fine. But if there's research out there that has this sort of confirmation bias part to it where you're saying football is dangerous and then every little bit of evidence that agrees with you, then you're going to run with it. Well, that's not following the scientific method either. And I think these are the, the things that we have to keep in mind as we move forward is that, look, 
science does take time. It has to be done deliberately. And especially when it comes to head injuries, yes, there's a lot of football out there, but you have to do things deliberately to make sure that you are coming up with the right conclusions. And that's sort of been my concern when looking at the concussion story is that we want to find the latest latest research and then run with it as opposed to doing the due diligence part of it because we don't quite understand what's going on. And it's going to take time because, as you said, it's the brain. It is incredibly <laughs> complicated. It is a beautiful piece of machinery, but it is complicated. And it's not going to be an easy answer. And it's not going to be a quick fix either. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as an advocate, I, you know, do, you know, doing this podcast, doing my writing, everything I do, you know, I, I try to remain really neutral in my opinion. Um, you know, we don't know enough. You know, would, would right. I let my you kid don't. play football? Probably not. Um, you know, go play golf. <laughs> like, you know, I do still want them to have an active life. You know, I'm not going to let my kid play football, hockey, or cheerleading. You know, they're definitely at the top of my list. I wouldn't let my kid do. Right. Um, but at the same time, we can't live in a bubble. And, you know, I right. think my beauty. You can playing baseball. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, and it could probably happen playing golf, you know, um, but you know, it, it, we can't live in a bubble and my job is just to get the information out there. And I know sometimes, you know, I have a guest that's a little controversial, like their opinion goes against the grain, you know, like, um, D- uh, Dr. Samadani, you know, she, she fully believes kids, um, the benefits outweigh the cons with football, you know, and, um, not, not in a popular opinion in some of the CTE world. So, you know, but it's important sure. to hear both sides of the story. So, yeah. So thank yeah, you, absolutely. Edward. This has been, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and, um, you know, just remember the, remember, remember the concussion is important, you know, when in your reporting and, um, you know, not, not, not downplaying it. And cause you know, I mean, some people poo poo the concussions in the sports world. And it, I, I think we really have to get rid of that mentality. Um, g- going back to what you said about Zach Easter, you know, where were the adults that sat him down and said, Hey, look, you know, if you continue playing this way, it's not going to end up good. And I think it's important to set examples, especially at the pro and the college levels, setting those examples. And so um, just, you know, I appreciate all that you're doing and thank you so much for being here. Of course. Absolutely. It's a, it's an interesting time in that regard to look at this issue unfold and evolve yet at the same time, making sure that the due diligence is an important part of it. And that's what I hope journalists are doing uh, when they deal with a concussion story is to make sure every detail is taken care of and that you're not, running one way or the other, just because you love football, you don't want anything to threaten it or you're someone who, you know, overly loves health to the point where you're willing to throw away sports that do have a lot of positives. There are a lot of good things about football. Um, It is a balancing act for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for being here, Edward. And thank you everyone for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And just a reminder, you can always catch previous podcast episodes at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer.
And another big thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. And thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you next time.